I praise God by using the gifts he has given me to help serve in my community, like helping out on Wednesday nights for HSM, and using them to be kind to everyone and just love them like Jesus. Courtney, how do you praise Jesus? I praise God um, through musical worship. I love music. It really hits my soul in a special way. It helps quiet my mind and um, connect with God in a really special way. So that is my, that's the way I praise God. Good morning. Jim, I don't normally get nervous before I speak, but I was just nervous having you up here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> God's done an amazing work in your life, my friend. How many years ago was it you came and you're like, Hi, I'm Jim. What's the, next thing, what's the next step for me to get involved? And I'm like, easy now, easy now. God's done a great, amazing work. It's good to see you all. Um, our uh, team that we commissioned last week to go to the city, they're up in the city right now. And I saw some pictures that they were a part of a pop-up church service in the Tenderloin um, this morning, and so our, our students are sharing their faith and they're living out uh, Jesus to people, which is just really, really amazing. So I don't want you to forget about that. Uh, one of the things I do when I read is I highlight, circle, you may do the same kind of thing, maybe, but most of my books, if you look at them, it's me writing all in them and circling them. Um, I, I also do this with the newspaper which makes no sense. Lisa's my witness to that. I'm underlining things, circling, and then I throw the paper into the recycling bin. But this is kind of how I engage with it. So what I often do is I'll look back at a book that I've read years later and kind of wonder sometimes, like, why did I underline that? I must have been in a weird spot in my life. But sometimes it pulls things back out. And I found this quote from a book that came out in the 90s. I don't know when I read it, maybe 20 years ago. And the, the quote starts like this. What is a yuppie? Now, before I continue, <laughs> let me clarify some general terms because this quote kind of gets a little deep here. So the term yuppie came into use in the 80s. It may be familiar to you. It may not, and it's kind of transformed over the years. It kind of originally meant young professionals living or working in an urban environment focused on career and position, the acquisition of acquisition of quality goods, kind of living the good life. Might have been a modern-day response. Might be hipster. It may have been a response to the hippie who lived in the moment. They were no longer just living in the moment. And I also came across some other terms just because I think people don't ever want to be left out. There's a term called muppies, which is mature urban professionals. There's one called magpies, mature adults go partying in style. These are like real things. This is my favorite, kippers. Kids in parents' pockets eroding retirement savings. <laughs> Sitcoms, single income, two children, oppressive mortgage. And my favorite, mates, middle-aged, I'm tired. All right, but back to the quote. Anyway, here's the quote, because it gets a little deep. What is a yuppie? We guide our lives more by unconscious myth and feeling than we do by rationality. And so we may define the term yuppie by four interpenetrating slogans. The quality of our life, upward mobility, the pursuit of excellence, and material comfort. Obviously, not all of this is bad nor novel, 
People have always wanted these things and the myths of the past generations, rags to riches, work hard and get ahead, hardly seem any different. Neither is there anything inherently immoral about these things. The emphasis on excellence should not be challenged. What is novel, less moral, and needs challenge is, that the, is the fact that it is tied to an explicit philosophy of life in which unbridled individualism, selfishness, and personal development are unbashedly held up as virtues. Self-development is salvation, pure and simple. Everything, marriage, family, community, justice, church, morality, service to others, sacrifice, makes sense and has value only insofar as it enhances one's self. Self-development is pursued with a sense of duty and asceticism that were formerly reserved for religion because for the yuppie, self-development is salvation, the religious project. I read these words and I thought, wow, how prophetic this has become. Take out the term yuppie, insert anything about the level of self-development that we have elevated. One of the ways we can tell ourselves the truth this morning is in regards to self-development is, or our, is that our salvation, our highest value, is ask yourself these kinds of questions. I find it very helpful to ask myself kinds of questions, assess myself. How do I respond to giving time to people, to things or causes that don't optimize my life? Do I push away? Do I drift away or do I engage even more? How do I respond to letting go of finances to people, to things or causes that don't optimize my life? Do I push away? Do I just kind of drift away or do I engage more? Because what I have found is that following Jesus really well, like going for what he was about, and elevating the values of self-development equally, it's just not a thing. They, they can't coexist. You can't do both of those things well. In the 1700s, theologian John Wesley made this observation around Christians. Christianity is especially a social religion and that to turn it into a solitary religion is indeed to destroy it. But joining arms with others can be so, so hard and thriving in community is just not easy. Because as today's key voice in social structures, Taylor Swift says, players are going to play, 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 play. And the haters are going to hate, 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 hate. But baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake. I'm going to shake it off. I'm going to shake it off because heartbreakers are going to break. You want me to sing it? And fakers are going to fake. But I'm going to shake. My daughter would be so proud of me right now or absolutely horrified. I don't know how the tune goes. I shake it off. Players going to play, 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 play. Haters going to hate, hate. But because, yeah, you guys are so proud now. You're like, dude, our pastor sang Taylor Swift. They're like, oh, is he leading a cult? No, he is not. 
But it's one of those things that her observation, like, man, people just have a hard time getting along. And that's the challenge. It directly challenges self. You see, the purpose of this letter that Paul writes to the Philippians, the goal, the idea, if you're wondering, is actually to form and shape how we are to be together. It's the how. It directly challenges the lure of self and promotes the power of authentic Jesus authority community. You see, postmodern philosopher Richard Rory once famously said, truth is whatever your peers let you get away with. But Paul says something entirely different. As we've been looking at Philippians 1, the opening letter for the past six weeks, let me read this to you and include verse 27. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people. In Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus, it is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. You see, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Glory and praise of God. And in verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Pray with me. Father, we thank you. God, I am lured into self-development, into individualism, because I just want to protect the things that hurt me inside, yet you call me to depend on others. So, Father, as we let go of the things that have hurt us, we let go of our own self and trust the way of you, Jesus. May we see something different even today. In your name, amen. There's a phrase we use when we're in a beautiful spot or we're using a beautiful situation. We're like, man, this feels like a slice of heaven, right? You might be on a beautiful beach somewhere. You might be in a family dinner. You might just have great fellowship. It feels like a slice of heaven. In the classic movie, Field of Dreams, Chulish Joe Jackson comes out and says, is this heaven? But Ray responds, no, it's Iowa. I don't know how you get those confused. But it was a space in this movie where it's like, this is all that I dreamed of. Finally, I get back to it. Like I said, this is normally a phase that we use to describe a place, a, a, a literal place or maybe a place of tranquility or time with other people. But Paul makes it something so clear. 
Paul makes it so clear that we are to live out heaven right now and right here, which might make some of you think this is it. Or some of you might go, okay, what, what can it be then? Twice in this letter to the Philippians, Paul makes this actual statement to people that therefore we are to be a community living out heaven right now. Later in the letter, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Later in his letter, he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul means is that the church is a community of people within a larger community or a larger city that's called to be an outpost of heaven right here and right now. You see, heaven isn't this place where you earn your right to get in, but you let go and receive. It's a posture. And togetherness is a posture. And our attempt over the past six weeks was to lay out what do godly relationships look like within the context of living our heavenly citizenship together? And then how do we as a church exist as some kind of outpost of heaven for our community and for each other? You see, it's really not easy to do this together because individually we get our theology from different starting places, which makes it really, really hard. Some of us get our theology from Netflix, combined with podcasts, combined with conversations, cultural pressure, what we think, Google searches, and we go that way. So even though we're physically in the same room, our thoughts can be so different. And because of that, we need to listen really, really well and converse really, really well. But there's also a simple truth that coming to the belief that we need to get our theology, which is the actual study of who God is, and the infallible story of God and launch from there. Another reason why this is really not easy is because we feel like when others aren't doing their part, it gives us an excuses for us not to do our part. They're acting a certain way, so therefore I'm gonna act this way. We hide, we protect, we guard. You see, and I realize I'm gonna poke potentially a little bit here. You see, the goal of the Christian life, if I was to ask you that, what is the goal or the purpose? The goal of the Christian life is not to get to heaven when you die, but to bring heaven here now. You see, your eternal life has already begun. You don't die and then you start living. We are called now to bring heaven here now. Why do you think Jesus told his disciples when they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray? Jesus says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, I'm working hard up here, nothing. 
No, you don't have to applaud me. I mean, I mean, some of you are amen. Come on. That's just a, so some we come into church like, how am I supposed to behave? Behave more like Jim. Ish. Shake it off. What, is this, what does a community of heaven look like? What do you think? I'm not asking. This is a rhetorical question, Sean. Don't answer. I mean, what would it take for you to feel like, man, this feels like a slice of heaven for me? Probably feels a lot like um, feeling valued, right? Maybe feeling heard. Maybe feeling forgiven. Maybe feeling like um, this church is about something or about people. I can't define that for you, but I can point to some things. And I would also say that there are some things that we need to let go in order for this to feel probably more like heaven. You see, though, heaven isn't just the absence. I'm not talking about literal future, but I'm saying like the experience with God isn't just the absence of difficult things, but it's the unabashedly knowledge that as I go into difficult things, my Father is with me. It's the presence of God. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about heaven, we talk about, man, I get to be in the presence of God. And sometimes I get asked by younger people, like, what is that like? I got to sit around and sing all day and fly like the angels? And I'm like, no, man, you live with such a confidence and assurance that my Father is with me no matter what. Imagine a group gathering going, God is with us no matter what. Not God is with me, so you have to believe my point of view, but God is with us and can sit with us in our stuff. Next week, we're diving back into Mark a little bit for a few weeks and Jesus, in his first message, remember, says this. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' first message was heaven's here. Heaven, it's here. Now, if you want to know what that looks like, as he gathered a community of people immediately following this, the entry level course might be reading the Sermon on the Mount. That's what heaven should be like on earth. Maybe the graduate level is like read his parables, which is like a little more abstract and a little more discussion, but that's what it should feel like on earth. Hold on a sec. Is it possible? Is it desired? And I'm with you on this because this is the hard work of the church, is it not? We don't just go, well, it's your job, Dale, to make it more like heaven. I'm trying if Taylor Swift singing is a part of it. <laughs> what I'm trying is honesty and transparency and vulnerability. And I would say, how are you making this like heaven as well? How are you making this an outpost? How are we doing it together? Because my experience... And for, for me and for many that I talk to within our current culture, it can be very hard to sense and experience kind of that felt presence of God in our life, the consistency of that. And there's a few reasons why this might be true. One, it's the elevation at a fever pitch of self-development. I'm taking care of myself. I can do all these things. Meaning this, if what I'm being asked to do doesn't optimize my life, I push it away. 
The elevation of that is, a, a, I think, a, distir- a, a distinct attack. Can we even hear God? Can we even hear what he wants us to do? And I think the second thing is our clinging to the things that, the way they used to be. It's like in the story when Jesus talks about the prodigal son, right? A man had two sons. It's really, a, but the story should be called a man had two sons. And one goes off with all the money and wastes it. And, he, and the older brother is like, ah, oh, that, that younger brother. My older brother's here this morning and he always calls me that, ah, oh, that younger brother. I'm looking at you, brother. He likes to introduce me as, as his baby brother. I rebuke you. Just kidding. The prodigal son comes back. The father loves him. But the older brother is like, man, I'm getting ripped off. You see, the older brother, he's still living in his father's house. But he's no longer receiving the spirit of the house. As he embraces feeling cheated, he just becomes bitter. You see, you can be in the house, but not embrace the spirit of the house. What's the spirit of our house, Calvary? I would say Paul's master thesis of life in the whole letter to the Philippians is actually the cure. And this is what I want to focus on for the next few minutes. You see, what is, it's called is a life, and it's kind of a made-up word, cruciformity. Conformity to the crucified Christ. Michael Gorman, who popularized this term, at least theologically, writes this in his book, which he named Cruciformity. What Paul means by conformity to the crucified Christ is showing that this conformity is a dynamic correspondence in daily life to the strange story of Christ crucified as the primary way of experiencing the love and grace of God. Paul's mission in life was to seek to order the lives of Christian congregations by pulling everything into the tremendous gravitational field of the cross. You see, it's the cross that makes Christianity different, not just the symbol, not just the identification of a cross in a building that'd be, oh, that's a Christian church, but the act on a cross by one person. As Hans Kuhn wrote this, Paul succeeded more clearly than anyone in expressing what is the ultimately distinguishing feature of Christianity. The distinguishing feature of Christianity as opposed to the ancient world religions and the modern humanisms is quite literally, according to Paul, this Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ crucified. It is not indeed as risen, exalted, living, divine, but as crucified. That this Jesus Christ is distinguished unmistakably from the exalted gods and deified founders of religion, from the Caesars, geniuses, and heroes of world history, the crucified Christ. To identify yourselves or to align yourselves with the crucified Christ would have been a deplorable, despicable thing to do at that time. I mean, thousands of people got crucified. History tells us you'd walk by and see somebody on a cross, you would spit at him. It's not just a sign of being a martyr, but think of the worst things in our society. Think of the worst things. What is it? Once again, you don't have to yell them out. I mean, abuse and pedophile, I mean, whatever it is, that is the mark of the cross. And Paul says, conform yourself to that. 
That should be a little offensive, actually. As Paul writes to another church, the church in Corinth, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When I first came back to this church in March and we did a series in Lent, which really was all about cruciformity, I would invite you to go back and listen. But Paul writes this and shapes this in the same letter. Listen, this is what cruciformity of a heaven church looks like in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not regard equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So here is the pattern of cruciformity. He let go. So often, my friends, it just starts by letting go. He let go of all that he could hang on to, all that one could achieve, anything that could be gained as a personal advantage, a point of gain, of, pur of purpose, a goal, self-dependent life, he let go. And he became selfless. Selfless is very, very dangerous in community because the fear is, I'm going to get run over. I'm going to get hurt. It just is. I understand that. I have been run over and hurt in my attempt to be selfless. My insides tell me everything is to fight. But a community of heaven, it's safe to be selfless because it's received. If you back up from there a little bit, even just the verses, few verses, you see the effect of cruciformity. What effect could this have even in our church, in our lives, in our friendships? Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being unified with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if God, basically if God's done anything for you, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded. Having the same love. Being in one spirit of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interest of others. That's how cruciformity affects us. What does a community heaven look like then? It looks like maybe people being selfless, letting go, nothing out of selfish gain, but not allowing a need among us anymore. Living lives without lack because of what we're doing for each other. I don't want to spend too much time here because we're going to revisit this forever, okay? So for this colony of heaven here on earth that Paul's talking to you right now, Paul goes into this bondage-breaking prayer. Picture this, Paul sitting in prison. He's sitting in the cell that man made to control him so that he could not be an influence anymore. But he takes this prison cell and turns it into a chapel of prayer. The walls resound with bondage-breaking things for people. 
And he took the throne of grace by storm so that God's people will live out their heavenly citizenship in cruciformity. Ready? This is what he says. He wants their, how do they live this out? By their devotion to Christ. How do they live this out? By their doctrine and belief about Christ. And how to be sincere in their demonstration of Christ. He prays this. And we've been praying this every week. This is my prayer. This is what heaven will feel like. This is what heaven could feel like. That your love may abound more and more. A love without limits, I would say. And that that love would be turned into knowledge and depth of insight. That there's things we know, but they don't just stop at knowing things, but it's like this insight of how God wants us to be. So that you may be able to discern what is best. That's the spiritual wisdom that we do for each other. And that may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That there's this sanctifying work within all of you. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you hear it? Paul prays for a life of cruciformity. What is it? It sounds like a confusing word, but really what it is, being together, a slice of heaven, an outpost of heaven in a town, in a city that desperately needs it, is a place that loves limitlessly, in insight, in knowledge, with discernment. It's not just this haphazardly emotional feeling, but it's like, we can open up and love everybody because we also have the Father present with us who is drawing people to himself, sanctifying people to himself, changing people to himself because of cruciformity. One more thought from Gorman. He says, faith then for Paul is first of all cruciform participation with Christ that liberates participants from the hostile powers that rule human existence and brings them into a powerful sphere of Christ's benevolent lordship and community. And because this is true, every community of faith, including this one, and this is why we just did this series, should stop, pause, assess, Repent, let go, and receive what God has for us now. That's the truth for our lives personally. That's the truth for 2022 Calvary Church. To stop, to pause, to assess, to repent, to let go, and then receive what God has for us now. As my friend A.J. Svoboda writes, a fractured version of God's kingdom on earth cannot be healed apart from the healing of our intergenerational, interracial, and interpersonal relationships. This is not just a start. This is the way forward for all who are following Jesus. I think a slice of, of heaven feels like proactive reconciliation when it's needed and living 
in the grace and freedom of forgiveness. Because there's power there. There's a new spirit of hope here. I feel it. It's not a weird thing. About a year ago, I came to preach and to be considered to be your pastor again. And I'm just telling you, there was, a, there was brokenness and hurt in this room. And it's releasing, it's leaving. God's working, God's working in you, who you are and who we are. I just want you to know that I see it, I feel it, I rejoice with you. There's new hope for those who are like trapped. There's marriages being reconciled, I can feel it. There's people being reconciled. There's hurt letting go. Keep letting it go. When people ask me, how did you deal with the hurt? I just had to let it go. I called it for what it was and it no longer gave it space in my life. You just have to let it go. I encourage you to do that. Let me read this prayer as we go out from here. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and what is pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, through the glory and praise of God. We have these, uh, just as a tangible expression, we just call them our ascension walls, which is just letting it go, ascending to God. Some people found it really helpful to just write something down and put it up there as an act of faith. There's lots of space on those walls. I encourage you, write something down, letting go. It could be letting go of our church, things of the past, letting go of personal things. I encourage you to participate in that over the next few weeks as well. But God bless you. Have a great, great day in all that you do and all that you are. Amen. Thank you.